This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, buddy. How are you? We're having another fantastic day. Yeah, this was a this was a real good day, man. I woke up feeling good today, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to bed feeling good today. This was a great interview that we just had. Yes, sir. We just had uh, the fabulous Jake Busey on with us, who you yeah. may know from movies like Starship Troopers. Pig killer, scalper, something about a sailboat. What's that one called? <laughs> a boy called sailboat. No, we're supposed to be listing his famous movies. Oh shit! Uh, never mind. Never mind. Nah, he was he was awesome. Ray and I were talking off screen. We've done a hundred. Well, Ray and I have done about Seven. close to a hundred episodes together. <laughs> really. This, in all of the episodes that I've done, 130 something, whatever this is, this is this is one of my favorites, man. This was Jake was a fucking great guest. Yeah, he was so much uh, fun and very open and honest about everything he talked about. Yeah, this was one of the most open and honest conversations that we've ever had. And so uh, what do you say we get into it, right? Let's do it. All right, let me just do this quick house cleaning and then we'll get right into it. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all of the other great shows over at Deluxe Edition Network. The podcasts of the month this month are Bacon is My Podcast, I Need Some Creep, and Beard Laws. Go check them out all over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Great podcasts. Beard Laws, our buddy Matt Mc- Bacon is My Pod. You can find on, uh, they were on the Deluxe Edition Network holiday extravaganza that we did. And uh, I need some creep as a horror podcast to talk about a lot of horror stuff. Go check them out. Go check Ray out over on Deluxe Edition Pod. He's taking care of all the Instagram duties. What do you do over there, Ray? Usually nothing, but I do post some memes occasionally. Uh, I also like to do birthday posts for celebrities in the hopes that they'll see it and then come on our show. And, uh, you know, movie releases so that the, rec- the, the directors will see it and come on our show and talk to us about their movies. So, yeah, that's what's going on on Instagram. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on over there. And let's see, if you want to check out any of our previous shows, go to deluxeedition.show. You can find all of the previous shows over there. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. You can find the episodes immediately after they are recorded and unedited. Hear about what we talk about before and after the show. If you'd like to support the show in another way, you could go to whatamember.net and buy a t-shirt. Just go down, scroll down to deluxe edition and find our t-shirts. Uh, come check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash deluxe edition pod. And what else, Ray? Uh, 10 Cent Beer Night over on T Public's got all your favorite official bootleg merchandise for anything you can think of. 
You know what? You want a Rolling Stones t-shirt? I'll make you one. You want a Goonies t-shirt? I'll make you one. Just let me know what you want, and I'll get you the official bootleg version. Yeah, there's going to be some uh, pig killer shirts up there real soon. Yeah. Some Jake Busey shirts coming very soon to uh, tpublic.com. All right, go check them out. And I think that's it, Ray, right? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Here is our chat with Jake Busey. Howdy. How's it going, man? Good. How are you guys? Good, Good man. All right. Larry all right. All right. Larry told me you'd be calling in from your phone. Uh, yeah, I apologize about that. My daughter stole my uh, power cable from the computer. So so we're doing a phone thing today. I had it perfectly situated here, too. Um, yeah. So, so uh, actually, actually looks good, though, for a phone. Well, you know, that's how we roll, baby. 8K. <laughs> I was going to say, we've had some people on with their computers, and it was garbage. Oh, yeah. well, you know, that's when you get the compact Presario from uh, Best Buy. <laughs> so, yeah, know, those people were also in their 80s, the... I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not everybody rolls with the MacBook Pro, you know, it's just, that's <laughs> how it is. And the, the weird thing is because it's the phone, it's in like a selfie mode. So mm-hmm. when I look at my monitor, I am everything I do is in reverse. So if I try and correct in the screen, I'm going the wrong way, which is uh, which is fun. But anyway. I do the same thing with my hair all the time. I always try to fix my hair, and then I fuck it up even more because I'm going the wrong way. Yep. <laughs> well, it's good to meet you guys. Yeah, good to meet yeah, you. Good to meet you, man. I was watching one of your earlier episodes, and um, you guys were trying to figure out whether or not Garth Brooks is a serial killer. <laughs> And that I found quite interesting. Um, yeah. Um, seems like the last guy to, in, in, to be a serial killer. That's uh, some far-fetched inquirer stuff right there. Yeah, you you got to remember that he was Chris Gaines also, so he does have a dual personality. I've just, wow, I forgot about that. And that was so creepy. Today, yeah, the, kids would, the kids would say cringe. <laughs> yeah, that was creepy. Yeah, yeah he was like, I'm going to be a rock and roll guy. He put on a black wig and tried to go Trent Reznor on it. And like, yeah. so weird. Yeah. That was weird. That was so, weird. So maybe, he, uh, yeah, maybe his... Mm-hmm country persona of garth brooks was somewhat or is somewhat manufactured um, well the, the, the good whole old thing, boy that, thing which i think you said you um sorry gray shirt long hair right well, I, I can never remember what i say on this thing there's so many episodes now um no but you you mentioned something like well you know the whole thing could be kind of an act and he he plays this sweetheart of a guy but then is it real i don't know i think i think uh recently i've been asked by a few different movies to to play serial killers and i've played some demented people in the past (laughs) and um you know when you look at the ones that were uh true stories you know like uh the the most famous show recently i would say would be Dahmer. um Mm -hmm. 
yeah, that actor had an opportunity to look at the actual dude, and we got to see him in court depositions and all that stuff. And I watched a video of an interview of a guy who was a serial killer and proud of it. He was very clean cut in a real kind of 1976 way with um, like the kind of like that almost like a bowl cut not you know it's you, you really like a unflattering haircut that just kind of frames your yeah. your 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 pieces and then you know, like just black hair and then a black mustache and uh glasses like a like a 1970s computer programmer that worked for the government and he was very matter of fact and very proud and simple it was like you you were talking about um you know, racing go-karts. Yeah. He, he was like, you know, I, uh, I really would like to have, have uh, you know, got a, you know, 50 or 51, but I was just, you know, there wasn't the time, which is unfortunate. And, and in the end, you know, it was my own doing. And uh, I really, I should have done that better. And, uh, and you, the point is, if he was your neighbor, much like we've seen him many times, like you would be like, oh, he was that quiet, nice man. He just lived next door and never would have suspected him for anything. <laughs> well, and, uh, I don't know about that sometimes when you see these people and they're talking to him on the news and it's like, how did you not peg that guy? <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. It started. It's yeah. Like after because we really started to see the faces and the behaviors and when they started to snatch up those guys now like we've had some time to kind of build that that uh that file cabinet in the brain of like oh yeah these people are just they seem normal but then they're a little fringe or they got a little it's like mm -hmm. whoa yeah like yeah that dude's a little off base yep yeah any of my neighbors ever offer me anything made from meat i don't even i'm like oh thank you <laughs> especially not with toes uh. <laughs> that's like what's that the hbo show that just came out recently uh where they're they're talking about the uh the fbi files and stuff where they've they've actually like it was the first time they named the serial killers like they use that word like some of the guys in that show are like like the, the guy that plays ed kemper in that is just oh he's yeah like I spot on because like you said like there's so much of that because of the recent uh you know the the footage and stuff that that there there is like they yeah. they got a guy that looked exactly like him it was it's just crazy yeah it's a trip it's um because you know the 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 serial killers of 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 previous decades or centuries there there wasn't video cameras there were right. you know all these things so jack the ripper is just some kind of figure in a hat and in a cloak in the fog with a knife you know but like now it's like oh yeah that's old terry lives at the end of the street <laughs> fucking strange yeah so, so uh, to, be we gonna... clear, though, to be clear we didn't come up with the the whole garth brooks uh thing that was that was tom segura started that uh oh, years yeah. ago yeah um he called yeah he he's the one that uh and that's that's how it all became like a thing on our podcast because like we it was all crazy. Like somebody, we Ray made a post on Instagram, and then all these people started tagging Tom Segura and Garth Brooks in it. And then, like, I didn't know anything about it before that. And then, 
uh, like the post took off uh, because Jelly Roll's wife shared it like on her Instagram and like yeah I've seen like I, I, I was working on a movie this last week and I've seen that it's kind of like been bubbling down on like the third shelf of uh, the zeitgeist yeah. so yeah that's a trip so what what are we talking about today that is a perfect segue into the movie that we just were were fortunate enough to see uh, with you in it all right. As a deranged psychopath, Starship Troopers. Ah, they're close, very close. <laughs> um, <clears throat> big killer, big killer. Yeah. Now there's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, that was a very interesting <laughs> experience. Big killer is, uh, you know, it's a very low budget, very small. Um, horror movie you know um and uh we shot it all here in california out in acton and uh you know um there's a true story about a serial killer in vancouver and he i think he was killing people like in the 70s and 80s and maybe got caught in the early 90s um I did enough research just to kind of have a, a an overview i watched a documentary that they had shot about the guy and so i got to see him and um, there was an interview with uh, with him, and he's sitting in a jail cell, and he's eating off of a paper plate, and he's kind of got beans and coleslaw, and he's just kind of like stirring it around and eating, and he's telling this other prisoner his whole story, and you know he's confiding in him, and he's saying, you know, this this these cops, you know, they think I did this one thing, but you know what they don't know is i killed like 50 people and if i just gotten one more and uh and he's just talking matter of fact about it but it was um you know the thing about this movie it it, it is that urban legend that you've heard of you know you hear the name pig killer it, it's not exactly a fitting name it's um he's a pig rancher pig farmer in outside of vancouver in um British Columbia and their family raised pigs and he was a prostitute killer and chopped them up and fed them to the pigs and that's how he got rid of the bodies so this was a guy who was abused uh, him and his brother were abused by his parents that were beyond dysfunctional and very religious so they were kind of beaten with the church stick and uh, so they grew up highly just off because of being so abused from and very physically mentally everything and um i guess at a certain point when the parents died i don't know if the kids killed the parents or not but um the two brothers had the ranch on their own and they sold off some land and made a lot of money and they would go into town into vancouver and on vancouver on the east side of town is kind of this area that's all seedy bars and clubs and homeless parks and drugs and um lots and lots and lots of heroin um vancouver's kind of a it's like a little asia you know it's a direct line to the east where the opium comes from so they've always had a heroin problem in vancouver so willie picton was the character i played and uh he was the uh the brother that, that that killed him. And so he was so beaten with this religious stick, he would go into Vancouver and pick up, well, 
he started having a social life. So he'd go hang out in these bars. And he made friends with the prostitutes. And I don't, I don't, can't imagine he was much of a ladies' man. So maybe he might have engaged their services. But uh, at a certain point, got comfortable enough where he started um, seeing them as sinners and killing them. And so then it was like fishing. They would go down, invite a bunch of people for like a big Sunday hoedown, barbecue, whatever the hell, you know, outdoor daytime rave. I don't know what the hell you'd call it, but just, just a daytime party that would they'd, they'd go all weekend. As the story goes, allegedly. Well, he was supplying a lot of drugs, too, to people, right? He, he was a... Yeah, so he he got into the scene. You know, he started hanging out in the bars and kind of becoming one with the crowd and got a, got a uh, you know, a connection or whatever. So he could, so, you know, he'd lure people to the parties. Yeah, come on out, you know, so he was... It was a, a well-known thing in the underground world that if you went out to these parties, there was drugs, there was, it was all free, it was great, it was fun, but then, you know, not everyone came home, and I don't know that that was that talked about. But anyway, so um, the girl who plays the lead girl in the, in, in the film, her name is Kate, and she's a Canadian girl. She was in Vancouver, and um, as a child, she or teenager she was taking ballet going to an all-girls finish finishing school and very 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 you know wealthy family upper crust and she was that kid that was looking out at the seedy part of town you know driving by on the way to school or whatever and was kind of became infatuated with who are those people who are those people that stand around looking all crazy with their piercings and their leather and their chains and their tattoos and their kilts and their big boots and their mohawks and their you know who are these people they're so interesting and uh, she became infatuated and she of course knew about the story because he was you know alive and killing people were disappearing uh and then when he was apprehended uh, every canadian person pretty much remembers the moment you know um she wanted to make a movie about it so 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 then that's how you know they she she met some people knew some people put it you know they got it together and um i got a phone call and they said would you like to do it and i said you know sure let's that it'd be interesting and i i really kind of felt the energy of the space i was in when we were filming it so i you know, I didn't like study real hard and stay up all night working on all the material and going over it and analyzing it and getting real technical. I just was like, what are we doing today? Where's the lines? Oh, this is what it, okay, let's run it. And then I wouldn't even know the lines. And then like we'd do a couple rehearsals. And by the time I knew the lines, we'd put it on film and then, and then he'd say, okay, that's good enough. We got it. Let's go. Let's move on. So it was really kind of just visceral and quick. The process of it for me, and a lot of people are saying, wow, that was really a great performance. That was different. It was great to see you doing that. It was something we haven't seen you do. These are things I'm hearing from people. So, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the deal was other than I, I just I didn't overthink it. Well, like, why? Like, why? Why did you? Because I, I imagine that you don't do that well, for other roles, right? It, it, see, here's what I noticed. This is the most unhinged character I've ever seen you play. Like talking yeah. to you right now, 
you're nothing like what appeared in that movie or any other movie <laughs> I've ever seen you in. Like, it, you're like a completely unhinged human being. And you're, oh, in the you're, film? Doing that, you're doing that on the fly? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, really. Um, that's my job. And I've been at it. Nobody knows who I am, but I've been at it for 30 years. Um, Don't say that's <laughs> bullshit. Everybody knows who you are. So, um, it's so weird. It doesn't seem like that. Um, but anyway, uh, it, it, it was a great experience, you know. Um, I I think what it is is I watched the video of the actual dude and I got a bead on who he was and what his energy was and sort of seeing how his behavior was and where the the fact that he was tormented from being from his childhood um all sorts of weird Oedipal shit going on in this guy's head religious stuff going on in this guy's head so he was really like at a conflict with right and wrong, good and evil. So he's killing prostitutes thinking that he's doing the world a service because these are sinners. So I'm getting rid of these sinners and I'm feeding my animals. I'm completing the cycle of the earth. I'm, you know, I'm, my animals are benefiting from this. And like, this is a twisted dude. Um, but he, that was his rationale. And I just want, you know, I, kind of formulate that like, okay, this, this is who he is. And I just kept that somewhere in my head. So when I showed up at work in the morning, all I had to do was open that up and match it with the dialogue and just kind of <laughs> worked out, I guess. Yeah. It yeah. Did. <laughs> yeah, it really did, yeah. man. It's a, it's, it's a dark movie. It so is like a dark how movie. How close though is it to the uh, to the the original story? Like you watch the documentary, is it because like the one girl in the movie, uh, the main girl, she like does kind of have a thing, like she sort of like falls for uh, Willie. Like is that was that like a real? Yeah, apparently the word on the street is he was odd, but was sort of charismatic and a little bit enigmatic, and and women were a little bit. Mm you know, puzzled and curious about him. Like, who's this guy? What's he all about? You know, having no idea he's a serial killer, of course, you know. So um, he had a certain charm to him, and um, which I didn't really see in the in the video, uh, you know, when he was in jail. But, um, she, yeah, that character that she played, um, Wendy, was certainly um, a dramatic extrapolation. You know, um, there was a woman who did finally get away, and she was the one that called the police, and she didn't die. Um, and uh, she looked quite different than than Kate, the actress. She was uh, an older woman, heavier set, and 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 you know brunette like a black black hair black hair fair-skinned big-eyed uh gal and um so they really created a fictional world for her to kind of to pad that character and i think it served the movie well because you could have an a story 
and a B story. You could go back and forth from, you know, the brothers at the pig farm to then this girl in her world. And she has a friend that's this little dude that's a drug dealer. And um, so we get a little, I think what it does very well is that it kind of shows the audience that um, the entire world of East Vancouver and what Willie was tapping into and where he was fishing um, in that character, in her character. So we get, we kind of summarize, uh, or Chad does, the director, he kind of summarizes the, uh, that whole world into her character and, and her, her and her buddy. So, um, and I think, you know, I think that was the first time she's ever done anything and I think she did real well. And, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, it uh yeah, the acting it, all around. I mean, it was a it was a I mean, as far as it was a dark dark movie true story, but it's it's really well done. I never thought I would do a simulated sex scene with Jim Ginger Lynn. Ginger Lynn, yeah, that was going to be yeah. my next question. How was it work? How was it uh we all we're all familiar with Ginger Lynn's uh, early work. <laughs> okay, well, see, I'm uh I I never really was much of a uh a, a porn movie watcher so i didn't know really anything about her or her past <laughs> i just i knew i i'd heard her name and i knew that she was like a big porn star in the 80s but i had never seen any of her stuff interestingly enough she looks like uh an old girlfriend of mine which is very strange <laughs> um um uh, but but she um ginger lynn then or now looks like it <laughs> No, uh, yeah, back then, but you know, we all get older and she's a sweet, she's really a wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, she definitely like, uh, has a great sense of humor. She's very outgoing and loud. She's someone who's lived life. She's not like, um, turned from a, a porn star into like a, a, you know, a Betty Crocker mom living next door. You know, she's, she's, she's still the kind of gal that is, uh, you know, she's, she's like a real, uh, can do outdoorsy kind of, uh, and she's real sweet. You know, she's a really nice woman. Um, very considerate. So as awkward as those scenes can be, she's very professional. You know, it's not like anything like it looks when you're watching the movie is sure. you're doing it. It's very just, um, you know, by the numbers, by the book. Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. Okay, this here, and you're gonna scream that, and all right. And it's it's very much we're pretending now, and um, and she's great. Um, and and just to be clear, to reiterate, I was wearing a prophylactic device in the shape of a human phallic organ, and I was not. That was. I was not naked, and you did not see any of my personal body in that movie, contrary to popular belief. That is uh, basically a strap-on situation that you saw in that movie. And uh, just just to clear the water, I don't want people thinking like, "Oh, Jake Busey's showing his wank wow. on the freaking movie now." You got your own urban legend now, right? Yeah, That's cool. No, that was that had a white elastic band. <laughs> and I wore it over my shorts. <laughs> so yeah, um, 
What an interesting thing. And we shot all of those simulated sex scenes back to back to back, like the same night or same two nights. So it was like each night it was like the, that girl biling and then it's uh and then it, then it's ginger and then it was kate and then it, it was very and then there's a scene where i have to put this fake pig head on <laughs> and yeah. i'm doing the simulated rape scene with a pig head on <laughs> these are not the things that you That's think uh... you're going to be doing when you're like in acting class and you're like i'm going to be an actor it's the last thing you think you're going to be doing my god yeah put on a Fake pig head, strap on a pretend penis, and have simulated sex with the, the world's most famous porn star. <laughs> Never thought that would happen. But hey, they paid well, and uh, it was a true story. And I think true stories are always good to be told. Does that help you take the role, like that? It, yeah. that, that it was a true story. Yeah, definitely, definitely. If it was just somebody's willy nilly idea of just clown robots from space having sex in the underworld with nazi zombies like i'm just it's not <laughs> you know it's not my deal i don't really like it um i've already been there <laughs> let's uh let's talk about uh two of our buddies worked on that movie as well joe castro he did uh, all the special effects i think he did okay. the, the he made the pig mask and yeah, uh, lou temple nice Oh, yeah, New Temple, Lou. I think you've worked with more than anyone else in the history of the world. Lou's a brother of mine. Yeah, Lou and I, Lou and I are good friends. He's a he's a great guy. He is, he is a brother of mine. Um, he has a wonderful essence about him, and he has a childlike enthusiasm with uh, the seriousness of a sixth grade nun. He. <laughs> he you know he approaches the work with great seriousness and he's um he's very very dedicated to whatever the project is and he gets so into it that he comes to blows with the directors because he's got such a strong vision of like how great the you know thing could be a lot of times i have to say lou just relax just 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 do the acting part and let's let the director direct it well let's we'll let's just do the scene and um we have a good time together. We we uh, we spent about five years pitching a TV series, trying to get a TV series off the ground, and um, we got a good team behind us. We had producers and showrunners, and like we had, well, you you met my manager Larry. We had this group, and um, and and we'd spent so long working on it that we kind of went past the the cultural window because it was a TV show that was going to be about running weed on the east coast up and down from the south to the north to the south to the north so the show would kind of take place like imagine a moonshine running show except that it's it's weed and it's two rival families like Hatfields and McCoys and they're who's gonna they're tobacco farmers and and they're gonna they switch to growing weed and the show's about the competition of one of them going legal and legit and the other one staying on the underground and lots of car chases and a love story between the, the the girl of the other family and my character and then he plays my brother who's this wise cracking wacky funny guy and it, you know the show would have like hot rods and muscle cars and government stuff and lots of washington dc stuff with all the legalities of marijuana and the states and the alcohol stuff and um you know we had it all wrapped up we took it 
like for example like we i think we, we went to netflix to after i'd done stranger things and you know the president of the place ted sarandos was like my best buddy at the premiere of stranger things and and we, we you know so we brought him the show and they and he says yeah you know uh take it to my associate so we brought the show to the associate and they said oh this is an amazing script but we're we're not doing shows like this right now and i said what do you mean shows like this and it took me a minute to get it to figure it out and then finally my manager looks at it and he, he looks at the cast that we had the ideal cast characters on it you know and it was uh yeah the people are the wrong color so mm. the mm. politics of the earth got of the of the country got in the way and and things things as crazy as like are you kidding do you think hollywood is gonna do a series and 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 film a tv show about people in the south like you're kidding those people are crazy right-wing nuts like we'd never do that so i just it hadn't occurred to me i was just like i grew up watching dukes of hazard and and w there was two states that were had legalized weed. It was like California and Colorado. I mean, Lou came up with the balance of the idea, and um, you know we thought it was going to be the next greatest thing since sliced cheese. But we were the wrong color and the wrong part of the country, and and everybody turned us down. So we got to do Pig Killer. Yeah, well, I'd watch all nine seasons of that show if you make it, dude. It would be an amazing show the pilot episode that i wrote was really fucking awesome but anyway um so yeah and uh lou it was great to work with him and then um and joe he he that guy works fast he's very effective um i was i was surprised he was just always busy and um he made some scary gory things the only thing that i had issue with that he did i thought he was fantastic everything he did was great but i just couldn't come around with the the mangled penis that kurt bonzel has I mean, <laughs> could you imagine i'm just thinking about someone watching this podcast that hasn't seen pig killer like i've already talked about two different guys knobs myself included ginger lynn like all the people getting killed yeah it's a crazy movie it's good though it's a good movie the music is something else. The yeah. music really just Dude, I, I actually, while I was watching that movie, I downloaded the soundtrack to that. And that, like, I I don't know. I can't <laughs> tell you the last time I downloaded a soundtrack to a fucking, to a movie. <laughs> well, it's basically like all those songs from the 80s, like from 16 Candles and, and uh, you know, whatever. All those movies that were like the high school dance movies you know um breakfast club all that stuff <laughs> um so uh let's you were you worked with uh chad on another movie too that i just uh recently watched scalper yeah 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 we did scalper right after pig killer so um with uh byling joe castro did the special effects again on that kelly maroney yeah. was in this one yeah and um this oh this was another wild one man holy shit this one opened the opening of this one i was like whoa whoa <laughs> yeah i i um well that was one so okay so kate in the pig killer 
she and I uh, started dating. Um, like right as the movie finished, and uh, so we were very happy and having a, just a great time together. And Chad knew this, and so all through post production, he was editing the film, and he was like, call, he'd call her and her because she was a producer on it. She had brought him the idea. He'd call her and say, "Hey, I'm doing this rough cut. Do you want to see?" And she'd be like, "Yeah, it sounds good. Jake's here too." He's, oh, really? And so then we would do these like conference calls and we would, we were watching all of his rough cuts. And then at a certain point he said, Hey, do you want to I, read this script? You want to do scalper and you guys can play like a, a couple that is uh, detectives. And um, I thought, well, that just sounds fantastic. I thought we've, we've got a little team here. Um, whoa. God love it. Whoa, look out. And just like that, my world was flipped upside down. Um, uh, like a week before we started the movie, Kate's like, you know, I just, I can't, I can't be in a relationship. I was like, what? <laughs> no, I just, I can't date you anymore. What do you mean? I just can't, I got to focus on my career. I was like, what? Just like that? You got any notes for me? Like, did I do anything wrong? She's like, no, you're the nicest guy I've ever met. But I just got to focus on my career. And this is right. This is before you start filming. A week before we start. So we start <laughs> filming, and I'm just pissed. I'm like, "Fuck, hurt," you know, pissed yeah. and hurt. Like, why? What? What? You know. And so I was kind of just, just trying to suppress my frustration and hurt and anger throughout that whole shoot, and I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so. All I remember is the autopsy scene and then the scene up in Malibu at the house because there was this amazing house we filmed at with a pool outside and it was uh, all white and marble and stuff. It was really cool. Uh, the guy that owns the house is really nice. Um, it was one of those like Robin Leach houses, you know, live styles of the rich and famous. <laughs> I walk in this house. I'm like, oh, my God, who gets to live like this, you know? And um, yeah. Having grown up in Malibu, it was like, well, this is my hometown. I never you knew, I never <laughs> knew it could look like this, you know. <laughs> so we get to film a movie there. Um, I guess that's how it works. Yeah, completely <laughs> but, different role from uh, from Pig Killer for you. Yeah, in that, in yeah. That one. What's it? So what's it like working with Chad? Does he have like a? Is he like a dark dude? Like, cause he wrote both of these, right? He, I think he is a dark dude. He's got. He's very happy on the outside. He has kind of a nervous giggle and he's, you know, he's, uh, he's always thinking and he's very matter of fact and he doesn't have a darkness like, Hey, what's up? But he's just like, Nope, Nope. Yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. You're going to go cut her head off. <laughs> yeah. It'll be cool. So, uh, let's go do it. You know, he's, he's just a real, just um the darkness is somewhere inside but he's a he's a he works fast he's very pragmatic he's uh he he's not he's like the polar opposite to say like you know david fincher right so when he shoots something he does a take or two and it can look totally different between the two takes, like how he did the camera. He shoots a lot of it too, I think, 
but he's got his main guy that always mark that always holds the camera I, I don't know i guess i'm conflating chad with robert rodriguez they look nothing alike <laughs> yeah no chad chad is just yeah he moves real fast you know there's none of the um standard formula like okay we're rolling everybody be quiet okay ready on the set let's roll camera please all right sound okay good you set you guys set everybody's safe here we go action chad's just like okay we're rolling the camera so do it <laughs> and then when you're done he's like okay let's do it again and um you're like, did you cut no, no 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 we'll just do it again okay fine and um it's just very like boom 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 and i grew to really like his style because you you can look at the your day's work here's your date you get like a pack of pages we call sides and it's like the whatever pages you're going to film that day and my first thing is you know bullshit 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 my line bullshit 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 my line bullshit bu okay bullshit bullshit my line oh, okay great i'm going to have a pretty light day today this looks good um and with Chad's stuff, I, I realized there will be times where I think, oh, no, it's going to be a really tough day. This looks like a really complicated, intricate shot. And I'm imagining how I would shoot it. I'm like, oh, this is a crane shot with a reverse thing and that and a big master. And we got to get into these. And he's like, no, let's just he just shoots it with one camera. And it's very straightforward, moves real quick. So there's a lot of like it's, it's an edification with like, it's like, yeah, we we did a lot today in a short amount of time and um you know it's not high art but it's entertaining yeah yeah they're, and, both, they're uh, both great movies i mean as disturbing as they both are they're both great movies yeah it's an art form and there are there's a big audience for that um i get i get a little too tweaked out to watch stuff although when i was a kid i basically wore out our vhs copy of the shining <laughs> it was like 1983 82 83 in there in, somewhere in there and i watched that movie over and over and over the shining and poltergeist and then silence of the lambs later on but i was and a grown up, but as a kid, yeah, those were. I liked those thriller, twister, mental, dark movies, you know, but I didn't really do the slasher Friday the 13th, uh, Texas, Halloween. So it's interesting to do these movies. I know that there's an audience for them, but um, it's fun to play around as an actor, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, highly recommended. Definitely go check them out. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah. So, so when you finish one of these type of movies, what did you do to like come down and relax and get back to normal? <sighs> well, with Pig Killer, we were up in Acton, out in the high desert. So there was a, a location change aspect of relativity in my head. Um, well, I, I think the answer for that one is I spent a lot of time at Kate's house. She just bought a new <laughs> condo and, and, uh, we spent a lot of time there after the movie and uh, came down 
from the film um, and had a lot of a lot of great fun, lots of dinners and um, hiking in the hills and um, yeah, just that excitement of being in a new relationship and which I hadn't felt in 15 years. So it was uh, it was it was quite a quite quite amazing. It was a real happy, elated time to come off of that really dark film and then be so ecstatically happy. Um, so it was a bit of a roller coaster that year. Hmm. That's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's uh you still have a little bit of time? Sure. Yeah. Well, cuz I have a I have a bunch of stuff here. We we jump all over the place. Let's talk <laughs> about a feel good movie. A boy called Sailboat. Oh, yes. This was such boy a great Sailboat. movie, man. You're only in it for 5 minutes maybe, but what a fucking great movie. JK Rowling's uh Lou, Tem- Lou Temple again. Uh Noel Ju- I I don't know how to say his last name Ju- um Ju- he just he just goes by noel g okay <laughs> yeah he's yeah. in a lot of stuff he plays he's like he's like the vato gangster from east la he, he plays yeah. those characters very well so i i actually recommended him for the role to the director because i had known him for a long time he's a great guy he's a good friend so um yeah, it was neat to meet J.K. Simmons, you know, and um, and uh, I say J.K. Rowling's. I have that written down did. wrong. Sorry, um, but that would have been funny though to have the writer <laughs> from Harry Potter in an independent film about a kid that's in what, New Mexico. That's what happens with fucking uh, spell check. Damn it! Yeah. So, um, so a boy called Sailboat is a really interesting movie. It's. Uh, about a, a, a young Mexican boy in New Mexico in the desert, uh, a very impoverished town. And he's a quiet kid that doesn't talk. And he finds a ukulele in a trash pile and he starts to play it. And um, when he plays it, it's like an angelic tune that like it, it cuts through to people's inner soul is kind of the message of the movie. So people hear it and their innermost true self is revealed or begins to be revealed. So that's why when my character, my character is this guy who's kind of like an out of shape gym instructor who thinks he's real funny. And he's, he's got this curly wig. And, um, and when he hears the ukulele, he gets to his true self. He ditches the wig, so he's just a bald guy, and he he shows up dressed like a an old hippie instead of a gym teacher. And that was the purpose of my character. And everyone else had different re- served different purposes and had different reasons. That film was produced by a friend of mine. Um, uh, well, there's a group of guys that are friends that have made different movies and help each other out with different things. And so it was my friend, Angel Nigam, who we were in the first 20 million is always the hardest back in 2002. It was a 20th Century Fox comedy about Silicon Valley, the dot-com explosion. The movie went nowhere. Nobody saw it. They released it for a weekend and pulled it. But Angel and I became friends. Now he's a producer. So it was because of him. He made a couple phone calls to the Australian cats 
one of the producers is a guy named Richie who has property in Montana and Anjo brought me and we shot the movie Rust, the Western up in Montana this last May. Fin we finished it this, with the second, the second, you know, the re reboot, the, sure. you know, um, in May up there. So, um, yeah, that, that movie was kind of the beginning of a great relationship with a group of different people that make these independent films and, um, and, and the boy called sailboat led to me being in, in, in the most recent one I've done with those guys, which is Russ. Yeah. We What's it called? One we're going to do later in the year. What's the new one called? Oh, there's another movie that we're going to do later this year. We're, we're going to start shooting it. So it's too early to talk about, but okay. uh, really cool script. Yeah, this, I mean, I'm looking forward to that already, even without knowing anything about it, because I, I really like this movie, A Boy, a Boy Called Sailboat. It was really good. It's it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a young kid coming of age. It's kind of an ethereal thing. It's kind of got notes of, I guess, I don't know if you, I mean, the director's an Australian guy. I don't know if you'd say, like, religious tones to it but it has a spiritual element and it's kind of slow and quiet and it's one of those offbeat indies you know what i mean yeah um really a, a, you know a kid that doesn't speak that picks up a ukulele and transforms the town by playing it i guess is enough that's, that's <laughs> uh that describes it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all you need. That's all you need to say. I, I highly recommend it. It's a great movie. Um, here's another one I want to talk about. Uh, uh, Bluegrass Spirits. Just watched this ah, the other day. Bluegrass Spirits. There's a movie that could have won some. Could have won some freaking awards. Man, great script. And uh, first time director. He wrote it and directed it. We shot it down in Lexington, Kentucky. Great people, great places. Really cute little script. You know, it's about a guy who's an alcoholic who is a whiskey distiller, like a mom and pop whiskey distiller. So him and his sister, uh, and it's her recipe to make the whiskey. So before the movie starts, she passes away. So he's a lonely, sad drunk. Every night, he opens up his bottle of whiskey, pours a little in the glass. He sniffs it, doesn't drink it puts it back so we realize he's sober now and he just it's the last whiskey of the great whiskey that he made with his sister and we see there's elements again of like a spiritual nature uh where her ghost is like in the bottle kind of thing and there's a real fun wisecracking gal who runs the the tour guides through the whiskey distillery and you know it's like uh, napa valley with the wine and the wine tasting rooms they have that same thing down there, the bourbon trail in the south. So you go and you go to these little distilleries and you taste the bourbon and you sit around the room and you watch how they make it and they, they talk all about it as if it's some high spiritual art. Um, I guess it is. Spirits. Um, so that movie could have been fantastic, but he didn't, the director didn't know that he needed to allocate enough money to shoot close-ups. So the poor guy, and then didn't put a score in. So there was no close-ups to really tell, like show you what the people are thinking. Like everything's like back like this. Sure. 
And so you don't really get a feel. It's a real deeply emotional, very... It's it's one of those movies that, like, every scene should be shot like, like this because it's really just deep human issues talking with, you know man and woman man and friend friend and woman like like all these like how do we get through life how do we deal with alcoholism how do we deal with the loss of family how do we deal with i'm a bourbon distiller but i can't drink because it's just destroyed me and now i'm back on my feet and then fall off the wagon again and then having friends trying to help and and then some fun times in the movie with some people you know that come into the place and are having some fun partying and stuff so we were doing these really heavy, great written, really good scenes. And he, you know, he's shooting like this. You have no idea how I'm feeling because I'm so far away from the camera. And, um, and that frustrated me. And then I watched the movie and I was like, no, oh, there's no score to tell you how the emotion is going with the scene. So it's just like, what is going on here? And then finally, the last scene of the movie, he shot a close up. And I saw myself, and you know, I came to tears, and I was dealing with my sister's ghost and all this stuff. And finally, I was like, "Oh, yes, I was working. Yes, I was, I was delivering a performance in this movie. God damn it! But you don't see it." So that was one of those where you just, I asked him a hundred times while we were there, like, "We gonna do, we gonna finish this with close-ups?" He said, "No, I don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We got to just move on. Next thing." I'm like, mm. "But it's important." So. I don't know. That's my point of view. Let me know what you think down in the comments and I'll get back with you. So, I, I mean, I liked it. I mean, but yeah, now that you, now that you say, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an actor or filmmaker or anything like that, but I guess now that you say it, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a great well, movie. That's good. The that's dialogue good. was great. And it's, it's kind of hits home with you a little bit. Like you're a, you're recently sober, right? Yeah. I've had my ups and downs with it, but, um, I, I my life had come to a complete disastrous train wreck in 2010 2011 I finally quit drinking in May of 2011 and um, it was necessary and it turned everything around I wound up getting back together with uh, my girlfriend that we had spent the entire 90s with and we had our daughter we played house in a couple houses and were engaged and virtually basically married she called me her husband and that lasted about 10 years and about a year before pig killer uh i think the the, the pandemic was uh we came to a we came to a realization that uh, it would be healthier for our daughter if we were to co-parent and raise our daughter together, but not in the same house. So, uh, so yeah, so it's it's a new it's a new horizon at this point. But all throughout the pandemic, she uh, we were we were living up at our house that we'd been at for a decade up there in uh, Topanga Canyon, nice big house, but. Uh, we were always this close from being able to afford to buy it, you know, we just couldn't get it together. And she came down with breast cancer and she had to have a double mastectomy. And so that was, we started the pandemic with her at UCLA and she had, she was scheduled for her surgery. And when she came out of surgery, 
it was a Thursday, I think. And her friend, her best buddy forever, happens to know a guy who's like an uncle to me, a guy named Cheech Marin, Cheech and Chong. And her friend, or she's, she tells me, she goes, she's in the hospital, she's had her surgery and we're talking, she says, hey, my, my buddy called me and um, she said she talked to Cheech and the word on the street is they are going to shut down Los Angeles on Monday. So we have, you, that, that might be a thing. I was like, really? She said, yeah, they're talking about like a quarantine thing for like a, maybe a couple weeks. And so she spent the first week of, or she spent her week of recovery in the hospital, the first week of the pandemic. So it was very strange. It was like this Damn. dystopian apocalyptic world where I'm, there's no cars in the streets, nobody in the hospital, nobody on any of the floors, all the lights are turned off. And I'm like walking through the hospital, trying to get to her room and find her and bring her flowers and stuff. And like, it's all dark and she's the only one in the hospital. And man, it was so weird. And now we found out Fauci was lying about the whole damn thing. <laughs> ah, six feet was arbitrary and we didn't really know. And uh, ah, lockdowns didn't really work. So ah, we just, whatever. So it's a bit of a pisser. <laughs> but uh, you know, here in California, are you? I don't know where you guys are. There's people still walking around wearing masks. They're they're called crazy people. It's. I watched them. The woman. I went to the pharmacy today, get my blood pressure medication, and there's this woman. She kind of stepped in front of me as I was walking by. I was like, you know, one of those moments where you're like, oh, sorry, and she had to grab something off the shelf. Grabbed herself like two six packs of masks. <laughs> Where, what is going on here? The week Man. after Fauci says, well, as it turns out, we really didn't. Masks don't do anything. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, shit, man. Up until October, I traveled the, the country for work. Uh, I got laid off in October, but I traveled. Well, I was off for eight weeks during that, that whole thing. But after we started traveling again, like I was in the airports you know, four o'clock in the morning by myself, no one around. And and I remember specifically this one guy, would, he came up to me, like got within like a foot of me and was screaming at me for not wearing a mask. And I was like, dude, like until fucking two minutes ago, there was no one else around me. You know what I mean? Just fucking move yeah. along. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a trip. It's a trip. Well, you know, what's really weird is uh, and I think this is from growing up. OK, I found out the kids that grow up in a abusive dysfunctional household become very aware dr drew said this to um dave rubin the other night i think he said kids that grow up in a, a, a abused households are very aware and they're very they can spot things in people that that normal people or non-abused people wouldn't and i grew up in a very verbally abusive drug-fueled crazy house because my dad was just insane in the eighties, you know, and every cocaine fueled actor in Malibu in the eighties was there. It was just a constant party. And so it was a hard way to grow up. And, but I'm really, really like, I was the quiet kid that just watched everything and took it all in. And I knew when this one friend of my dad's was full of shit and he high on cocaine and he was lying and I could tell like a poker player, and like I knew, and I, you know, I'd see couples like the the grown ups, and I'd see, I'd, 
Like I knew that I saw this guy with this other chick in the bedroom at this house party. And now he's here talking to his girlfriend. He's telling her a different story and I can see his body language and I know how he's bullshitting. Right. And then I've been acting for 30 years and grew up on film sets. So long winded, of course, that's me, but I can read shit. So when all that stuff went down, bro, I don't know about you traveling in the airports and the guy with the mask too close to you, like, from the very beginning, I was like, nah, something's rotten in Denmark. This isn't right. This is what they're saying. And what I've always heard from my OCD mother about germs, viruses, and bacteria, like none of this is jiving. Like yep. it, it doesn't make sense. Like there were so many steps of that whole period of time. And then we're dealing with a woman who's healing from a double mastectomy who has cancer. Now she's getting chemotherapy and radiation. And this is my daily life. And we're trying to function. Meanwhile, the whole world is saying closed down, but I'm watching the body language and I'm watching the tells and retractions, the whole thing where he was like, you got to wear masks. Oh, you don't need to wear masks. Oh, you got to wear masks. Or like the freaking great Barrington declaration with Bhattacharya, where he's, they're like, they came through with all this. And of course, anyway, I don't want to go off on that, but <laughs> being an actor and going through that whole COVID thing, I was like, I knew the whole freaking time. And, and it, I was so glad that Russell Brand finally came out and just started laying it down. Cause, cause somebody had to, and he waited, he made sure that his facts were straight before he just like me, I had to really watch myself. I didn't say anything. Yeah. Because I knew I would have just been blurting out shit and everyone would have been going, conspiracy theories, fucking get out. Right. <laughs> so I didn't say anything, but I'm glad now, you know, I can say something now that we know what the truth is. But like, man, it's, it's, it was crazy. And, um, but April, she got, she got through the cancer and then, um, and then, uh, and, and then, you know, she's, uh, about a year later, she, I think it was when I was doing pig killer. She came down with liver and pancreas cancer. Jesus. So she had to do two more surgeries and more chemo and more of that stuff. So, so then we, I moved, I, it didn't really work out with Kate. So I, I moved in and stayed with her and, um, my daughter and, and just was there with them while, while she was going through that all last year. Um, and the chemo and the rainstorms and that uh, we were up in the mountains in a cabin she had gotten. So I was tending the f wood fire stove all day and chopping wood and going to the grocery store and taking my kid to school and back and in the rain and, and there's dump trucks and graders and all that stuff. Remember California almost washed into the water, into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a hell of a year, but she's, she's better now. She's um, starting to walk again and, she had a awesome, whole year man. of being unable to get out of bed. Damn, so, um, but awesome. yeah. Um, well, it's good that she's doing better. She's coming really out of is. it. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Life, it keeps going. And there's, well, a great man once said, uh, the only constant is change. Yep. So. Or what would somebody, somebody, the only thing that doesn't change is that it changed or something. That's something clever. But, <laughs> you know, you got to, that's the whole thing, right? You just got to adapt and keep moving forward. And just, just so long as everyone's happy. And, and um, 
you know, you try and make it together, and if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. Whatever's, you know, we wanted to do for us. I don't know about you guys, but having a kid, like we wanted to do whatever was going to be the least disruptive for my daughter's childhood, for her growing up. Yep. And the least amount of negativity, the least amount of fighting, the least amount of yelling. And she told me the other day, you know, she's 11. And she told me the other day um, that she has PTSD from something that happened. And I asked her what it was. And she said it was this one day where she was on the couch and 20 feet away, Mama and I were yelling at each other in the kitchen. And I felt really bad about that. And, and I, at the same time, I thought, my God, I am really glad that she didn't have to be exposed to what it's like to live with Gary Busey when he's high on Coke for two weeks straight. Oh, um, fuck. That was a childhood. So I'm glad things are changing in a way that like, in like her biggest PTSD thing is one argument. <laughs> one argument. We yelled at each other in the kitchen for maybe 10 minutes. And then I, I said, Sh shut up, shut it down. Autumn can see us. She can hear us. And, uh, but she's still, you know, but that's a lot better, right? That's improving. Well, I have to ask then, um, how's your relationship with your dad? How are you guys getting along now? Um, well, as good as you could. Um, my dad, so <laughs> here's another thing. <laughs> you remember the presidential election in 2020? Yep. Yeah. I knew that the Democrats had a problem on their hands because I was dealing with the same problem at home. Mm. So, you know, dad fell off his motorcycle December 4th, 1988, and he lost a good portion of his frontal lobe. And he also did, he will, he will tell you, I'm not telling you anything he wouldn't. He did cocaine for 20, 30 years in every form, fashion, and motive. And definitely much worse and much more full throttle after the brain injury. Oh, wow. So... I think because there was no like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this after the brain injury. It, it was just like, yeah, this is great. We need more. So, so he, you know, he's, he's done a lot of damage to his melon. So when I was watching those presidential debates, I was like, oh, we got problems coming. So that's what I'm dealing with now. Uh, if you look at your TV and you see the uh, recent news around our White House, I, I got that going on at home, except um, he, you know, he's, he's Gary and not the other guy, you know. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate for the president because at this point it's it's elder abuse. Like, why the why are they letting him get out there like that? Oh, it's it's no, it's been elder abuse since 2020. No, putting him up for the 
for running was I, that, this is what I'm saying. Like I saw back then, like he's he was gone. He was he was gone. Right. And and if you look at the tapes, and I, a lot of podcasts now are running the tapes. Like here's 2020. Here's now. Here's 2020. Wow, he was much better in 2020. But compare 2020 to 2008, you know, right. like there was a lot. So having a father with dementia. Or if it's early, I mean, I think it's dementia because he had the motorcycle accident. He basically gave himself a frontal lobotomy. And I'm looking at my dad and then I'm looking at the guy on TV and I'm like, same thing's happening. And I couldn't believe that like America couldn't see it. I'm like, how, how do you not see this? But maybe it's because I was dealing with it at home, you know? Right. So he lives alone now. His his newest wife with my little brother they 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 took off they couldn't deal with him anymore he was too abrasive. Part of the brain trauma thing is they get they get like hey and he can't hear a thing he lost his hearing. So so there's you walk in the house and he's like hey come here you know and uh, what and you say hey dad how you doing what dad how are you huh. I just figured I'd bring you some lessons. What? I can't. Come here. I'm watching the TV. Dr. Phil's on. Okay. All right. Is he one of those uh, guys, too, that he thinks he can hear and won't get a hearing aid? Yes, but then he finally got a hearing aid, but then he doesn't wear them, and they fall out, and he doesn't know, and then, like, he, he recently got some new ones, so he's been wearing them, and, like, he can actually kind of hear you a little bit, but, uh, like I was going, I was going, we were working on a movie last week and I'm in the truck and I was driving to the set and he called. So I took the phone call and he needed a phone. He needed me to call a taxi for him because he can't drive anymore. And he wanted to get from his house down to the middle of Malibu to go to the cigar lounge. And, um, that's what his deal is. He goes and hangs out with the guys at the cigar lounge and smokes cigars. And then he, he goes home. That's his day. So. It took me 40 minutes of driving to convey the phone number to him. And he can't use the phone to text. He's just, it's not going to happen. He, he can't figure anything out. Like he, 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 there's no, there's no technological wherewithal at all. He's 79. So he, uh, the producer of the film was with me. He was riding shotgun as we were driving. And when I hung up the phone, he said, oh, my God. Is that the way it is all the time? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's, that's the way it is now. It's just, you know, time keeps going by. Yeah. Things get I hate slower. to, uh, like, I hate to, when we have someone on who has a famous father, I hate to turn it over to that. But since we're talking about it, this this fascinated me. When I was doing my research for for you, we talked. Do you know who Larry Hankin is? No. He's he's uh you've seen him in everything. He was uh, old Joe in Breaking Bad. He worked at the junkyard. Uh, he was he's in a he was uh, the guy in the hall in Friends, the cat guy in Friends. Oh, uh, oh he yeah 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 yeah. I know him. So so we had him on our show, right? And yeah. he told us this long story about how uh, Bob Dylan came to see him in a club in California when he was doing comedy. And then he got hooked up with Robbie Robertson and they flew him to 
Woodstock in like, you know, he was at Big Pink hanging out with everyone in the band, everything. And they had him, they wanted him to write a script for a movie called Carney. (laughs) And when I'm researching this for, when I'm researching your, your episode, I'm listening to an old podcast that you did. And you're, you're talking about growing up with musicians like fucking Robbie Robertson in your house. Uh, Leon Russell, Willie Nelson, T-Bone Burnett, like, yeah. And then, and then your dad did a movie with Robbie Robertson called Carney. I was like, holy shit! And actually, and and Larry Hankin got paid money for that, and fucking went. (laughs) That's amazing. We we shot that in Savannah, Georgia. I had my eighth birthday. I brought a piece of birthday cake to the lunch tent with the straw hay on the floor. It's a little traveling carnival. All the cast and the crew was having lunch, um, and they they brought a cake because it was my eighth birthday, and my dad and Robbie were the producers. We um, anyway, so I, I Jody Foster was one of the carnies. She she was the burlesque dancer. She had long straight blonde hair, and she was a, she was a grown up to me. She was sixteen. And I had the biggest crush on her, and I brought her a piece of my birthday cake, eight years old. I looked like a little walking Q-tip. Said, hey, Jody, here's a piece of birthday cake. She was so sweet. She said, oh, thank you, Jake. She was really nice. And um, she remembered that when I ran into her in 1995 when we were shooting Contact at the Culver Studio. It was really cool. Um, but, yeah, we lived with uh, the Robertsons, so they – we had one of those big palatial mansions in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, you know you walk in and it's a, just a staircase that goes up, right? And the house is shaped like a U, and so the right side was the Buseys and the left side was the Robertsons, and they had a music studio. And my dad and Robbie did all the music for the movie, and then and so you know Alexandria, Sebastian, and Delphine and I just. We were kids in the house, and they brought their chef from Montreal. He was a French guy, and he, he cooked all of our meals, and he had pet pigeons off the back. <laughs> it was a cool experience. And, um, yeah, yeah, spent spent the whole summer in Savannah, Georgia, just touring around the little carnival, and Dad was playing a crazy dunk tank clown, and <laughs> Robbie was like the suave, you know, ticket master. It was, it was it was good it was good yeah, I, I started I, watching it today actually i didn't i didn't get to finish it yet but dark i found it yeah it's dark i found it on youtube yeah it was made during that like you know urban cowboy mr good bar you know taxi driver coming home deer hunter so like all those movies had to be dark so you couldn't see anything <laughs> and a sad ending so yeah it's it's in that 70s art house you know era thing so it's good yeah yeah i find that fascinating i'm a huge uh band guy i love the band oh man it was great like because robbie you know they're they had we'd been around when they were putting together the last waltz and they had the studio that um i guess rick rubin owns it now but it's a studio in malibu called shangri-la and i spent most of my childhood uh, well not most of it but Throughout my childhood, that was only a half mile from the house, and Dad was always there. 
I think stu- recording studios, that's where all the coke was in the 80s. So Chad was always at recording studios. But he was friends with everybody, and they were always making music. He did a great record with, like, Robbie and then Jim Keltner playing drums and Danny Johnson on guitar, and it was like a solo thing. They did some... Um, um, what was his name? Was it Delbert Burnett? Um, T-Bone. Burnett. Not T-Bone Burnett. Different family. Billy Burnett, the oh. guitar player. His dad. Uh, he 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 had a famous song in the fifties, and my dad remade it. It was really cool. I loved it. Uh, Is that available anywhere? I don't know. He probably has a reel-to-reel 16-millimeter tape of it, like 16-track or 8-track. Um, he did some really cool stuff. and um, But then there was lots of just tapes that he was recording of himself playing acoustic guitar, just high as a kite, just day after day, never coming out of his studio at the house. But a lot of, you know, made for a lot of interesting... I remember one night David Sanborn came over to the house with Nolte and they they dragged me out of bed at four in the morning so i'd come play drums i was like 11. so i was playing drums and these guys you know they're out partying and they needed a drummer because they wanted to come home and play some music were you a drummer yeah i still am yeah (laughs) yeah so um so like did that did that then turn you off of drugs then or did yeah i've never ever tried cocaine uh, any of the hallucinogens, nothing. I mean, I smoked some weed when I was a teenager. Actually, so a friend of mine, his father is a dude who was a talent manager for comedians. He had Bobcat Goldthwaite, the unknown comic, a bunch of these guys. And he was this dude. And he was laid back and he always he had a big, long beard, man. And he had... Uh, he wore a robe around the house. He had oriental rugs on the floor. And he lived in a place that was an old barn. And he had a big screen TV, lots of porn on it that I didn't really watch um, once or twice. And um, so he always had a lot of weed. And um, he was quite the dude. And he lived right down the street from Jeff Bridges. And when that movie came out, I was like, oh. That's interesting. That's an interesting coincidence because they were all friends back then, you know, small town. But my friend, yeah, he, um, we'd smoke weed every now and then. And his dad was like, he caught us once. He's like, hey, you kids are going to be smoking weed, man. You got to do it when I'm here at the house with you. Huh? <laughs> By the way, the canister over there is hash. And that's a little smoother if you want that. So, um so yeah that was it i didn't do the drugs man that i saw it was the coke was just so prevalent and all i saw of coke started at the age of eight in 1979 and all i saw was sweaty stinky people talking way too fast way too loud and way too much and i just it was gross and then they got mean, and then they got dark, and then their eyes turned black. And so I never wanted to try it. And um, I remember being in junior high and hearing whispers, some kid had some and another kid, and then they were all excited and like, 
You fucking idiots. <laughs> you have no idea what you're messing with. But, uh, yeah, you know what? F- funny enough, talking about families and parents and how we grow up and reactions and all that. What happened to me was <clears throat> my dad would temper his drug use with vodka or champagne. There was a champagne called Pouille in the 80s, which was like the equivalent of, say, Cristal today. And vodka was new, you know, Cold War. We hadn't really had much import from Russia. So there was like one vodka, Stolichnia, and so he would have that. So I wound up being so repulsed by all that that I wound up like being that guy that watches football and drinks a bunch of light beer. And that was my downfall was like, well, it's not Coke. It's not hard alcohol. It's just, I'm just drinking beer. Like everybody goes to football games or the racetrack or wherever. I'm just drinking light beer, but that will get away from you if you've got the alcoholic gene. So it did. And, uh, it was a distraction. Took me away from my career. And that's a bummer, but that's that's over. I'm I'm focused on the career now. I got three movies lined up to shoot, and I'm ready for more. And Rust is coming out hopefully in the fall because it's going to go to con, and um, hopefully get distribution there. So awesome, man! Yeah, it's uh, things of everything that I've seen it that you've been in lately has been fantastic, man. Let's uh, Rust isn't in my notes at all. Uh, I forgot that you were, is it, so did they completely reshoot everything for that or, no, or how was, are they doing that? There was some that they kept and then there was, um, I think two scenes that I had to redo, um, that were, they had shot one half of it. So they were going to keep the, the one half say pointed East. And then they needed to now reshoot the side pointed west with different actors because there were some mm. actors that didn't want to come back. They were like, "Fuck this! I'm, I'm out of here." Sure. So, so they and they were pretty big name actors. But they they, and so that was weird. I they were trying to direct me in a in a fashion as to like so I could reproduce what they had shot before with the blocking and the timing of walking to the gun cabinet and grabbing the gun and shutting it and spinning around and then giving one of the guns to the other, the marshal and then leaving. And I just, I wasn't getting it from the direction. And they said, okay, okay, you know what? Here, watch this. And they showed me the iPad of the other guys doing it. And I was like, oh, that's what you want me to do. Okay. And we got it in one take. And I didn't, I wasn't insulted by that. Kind of like a line reading for blocking. I was, I didn't really care. I got the job done. But um, it was really sad that uh, everything that happened around Rust was very sad. It's a shame that it happened. Um, But, you know, if there is anything positive to be taken from it, it's that uh, the woman who took over and finished the movie was one of her good dear friends and um, knew her style and knew her thing and did the best she could to honor her vision and what she was going for with the movie. So that was cool. And there was kind of a somber vibe on that film because everyone just had this kind of 
reverence of respect and acknowledgement of her passing and we were we were finishing the movie so that her last work would be finished and able to be seen for her family and then they they've signed over the film to the widower so he's now the main executive producer and so all all of if that movie makes any money at all every penny goes to the family so nice so you know still didn't bring her back but it's it's i think they did the right thing with that and i think it's going to sure. be a good movie yeah i had, yeah. had always wondered what they were going to do with the with that yeah i felt i felt you know it was interesting i felt honored to be a part of finishing something that you know in to 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 be working on a project in order to complete it in helena's honor you know what i mean like for her dignity as a person on the earth and for her family and so that that there was one last thing that so her last thing could be revered and appreciated and i hadn't met her i didn't know her i wasn't around you know for the first part so sure but it's going to be a great movie it is going to be a great movie so yeah, it's good to it's good to hear that uh, that there that it will be coming out eventually. Um, yeah, we don't want to take too much more of your time. We have four fan questions here yet. Uh, Kyle Patton says, "Put your hand on the wall," uh, but no, seriously, ask him if having a father that played in so many iconic movies or roles made it easier or more difficult to be accepted in Hollywood. <sighs> well, Kyle, that is a really good question. Both, actually, um, you know. Bill Maher said something real catty on his show a month ago about Nepo babies and uh, those dastardly Nepo babies. I remember meeting Bill Maher when I was a kid, and then I, uh, he was in DC Cab with my dad, and then um, and then I did politically incorrect a couple times, and we never had a beef, but he certainly had a beef with Nepo babies. And I got to say, every profession that we have, you know. Um, People run a grocery store, and the kids grow up, and they they run the store and take it over. Um, the, you know, you got the local town shoemaker, and he has a kid. The kid grows up; he's a shoemaker. Family business. And so America was founded on family business, but somehow the entertainment industry, people get weird about it. Nobody gets weird about it when it's like you know Kiefer Sutherland or Charlie Sheen or Bridget Fonda or anything, but like somehow. I'm I'm like eight to ten years younger than that generation, and I I don't know somehow I I can't go anywhere without anyone asking about my dad, and I don't think they suffered that. Um, it it uh, to answer the question directly, it having the name definitely surprised most of the casting directors in L.A. because they thought Gary Busey has a kid because he really we 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 didn't go out on the town with him. We traveled to all of his movie locations and that was a wonderful way to grow up. It's like a military brat. Got to see a lot of the country, meet a lot of normal, real good, just American folks and live in a bunch of different regions of the country. So I know what the Pacific Northwest is like. I know what the East is like, Northeast, New England, the South, Central, everything like Hawaii. Um, and it was great. 
So we didn't go on the scene in LA where the paparazzi was and stuff. And it really wasn't a thing back then. So people were like, Gary Busey's got a kid. And they, let's, let's bring him in. Let's see him. So my one thing was I knew I had to be good because he was nominated for an Academy Award. I couldn't go into a room and act like dog shit because that would be it. Because I wouldn't be some no-name guy that they would forget and then maybe bring him in another time. It was like, no, we saw Busey's kid and, and they would have an opinion. So I had to be good. So I spent three years in classes studying, film school, acting classes, making sure that I knew my shit before I went into the rooms. And um, uh, now I've found that it's, it's, well, I look, looking back on it, when I think about all the rumors that I've heard or secondhand things that I've heard, um, I did a TV show and I'd worked for that production company 15 years prior, but it was a TV show a couple of years ago. And apparently before I got there, the morning that I was supposed to start work and I was going to do a whole season with them, which I did. But at that point, I wasn't at that point. I was just going to do a one day's job with them. And in the morning before I got there, they had a safety meeting with the crew. All right, everybody, come here. So today, Jake Busey is coming into work. So, just a little warning. You know, it could get rocky. We don't know how it's going to be. But he's going to be here working. So if you have any issues or things get rocky, just, you know, just, just be quiet. Walk away. Tell us if there's anything wrong and we'll, we'll handle everything. So I show up and I'm just myself. Hey guys, what's up? Let's do this. This is fucking great. Let's have some fun. And um, at the end of the day, the director and the producers, all these people, they like they rushed me when it was like, and that's a good night to Jake Music. They rushed up on to where I was up on like a little stage thing. They rushed up on the stage and they're like, dude, I'm fucking, oh my God, bro, that was a high five. That was awesome. What a day, man. You're, hey, do you want to be here? Do you want to like finish the whole season with us? Do you like want to like stay and do a bunch of episodes? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So apparently what had happened was they were so afraid that I was going to be a nut job, which I don't know why. The only thing I could think of, Gary Busey. <laughs> and so they were really afraid that I was going to be crazy because of my dad. And, um, and then when they realized that I wasn't, they were like, well, shit. And not only that, I was a good actor. They were like, well, let's this, what he brought to this role is so great. Let's keep him all year. So it's been a blessing and a curse. It's like, you know, I, it's good because people are, they want to, they're curious. Um, but now I'm, I'm caught in this thing where it's like, I don't get work because I'm not Gary Busey. I'm just Jake Busey. Or I don't get work because I'm not Gary Busey. I'm Jake Busey. It's like, it's a weird, it's a, it's a, but I'm working now, which is good. So I guess I can dump that negative side of the story, but it's, there's certainly like, I'm kind of, it's a damned if you do damned if you don't thing. It's like, you know, I've, I have 
I have seen it happen where it's like, oh, we don't want to hire him because it's like, we'd rather have the real thing, you know? We'd rather have Gary Busey, not just the, the, the Jake guy. But then the other way is like, oh, no, don't hire him because he might be just like Gary Busey. So we don't want that. We don't want Gary Busey here. So it's I, I'm getting hit on both sides of like great reasons not to hire me based on my dad. Um, yet I'm nothing like him as a person. I mean, you know, we got our similarities, but he's, you know, he's his own dude. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, you can't take the looks away, you guys. <laughs> yeah, but this is this is true, and I've seen pictures of him online, and I've thought, oh, where was I there? Oh, that's not me. Um, <clears throat> but I know, you know, I was just talking with a, a guy on the film set the day before yesterday, and he he was telling a story, and the crux of the story was that he looked so much like his dad. And, um, and it had nothing to do with me. He wasn't telling the story because of me looking like my dad. He was just telling the story. And the kind of the punchline was that he looked so much like his dad. And I said, you know, people say that about me too. And then he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, well, it's just genetics. Yeah, everybody kind of looks like their parents. So, yeah. but it's just that my dad's a wacky famous guy. So, <laughs> you know. What you All do? right. Well, unfortunately, it's... These, there's two other fan questions that have to deal with your dad. Here's one that doesn't. Uh, Bat Cushions on Instagram would like to know, what is your favorite movie that you've ever been in, and why is it Nazis at the Center of the Earth? Why is it? Yeah. Or why isn't? No, why is it? She, it's Because I guess it's her favorite. It's She likes that movie, so. So she's being clever. Okay. Um, <laughs> Nazis at the Center of the Earth is my favorite movie that I've done because it's the worst movie I ever did. <laughs> it's a short answer. <laughs> that was a money gig and it wasn't enough money. Uh, I just found out that the lady was pregnant and it was like, time to work. <laughs> so, well, um, I just watched that the other day. The guy that played Joseph Bengala was really fucking good. He was great. Wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was really good. He told me you this. were good at everything that you're good at. Everything that you're in too, man, is good. Whether the movie is shitty or not. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's not a bad uh, reputation to have, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we've had uh, we've had quite a few actors on like that. That you know, you just you got to work, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they can't all be coming home. You know. Not every one of them is the Green Mile. Right. All right. Two last questions here. Tony from the Great Girth Podcast uh, asked Jake if he would ever play his father in a future biopic if it ever happens. Mm. My gut instinct is to say no, but I'm not sure. You know, things may change when he's gone. My feelings may change. I don't know. It's a deep one. It's <laughs> All right, and uh, one last one. Tim Josma, uh, what is the best piece of acting advice that you ever received from your father? Well, he's not much of an advice giver. It's all about him with him. Um, but he did, he did once say, uh, hit your mark, fight in your light, and say your line. 
<laughs> so that's a good old actor joke. Hit your mark, find your light, say your lines. <laughs> yeah. Ray, do you have anything else for Jake? No, other than uh, I enjoy your movies uh, a lot. Uh, I think you're a great actor. I don't care what these other idiots in Hollywood say about you. They're wrong. You're a great actor. <laughs> well, thank you. And uh, that's that's all I really have to say. Uh, well, I appreciate this, that. This was Thanks. a pleasure. I had a great you time talking great. to you. Yeah, yeah this was fun, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime, man. And please uh, plug away where people can find you and all that good stuff. Oh, it's it's uh, the Instagram is at thejakebusey.com, and uh, a Twitter used to be at thejakebusey, but uh, I didn't pay the nine bucks to Elon, and now I can't figure out how to do it. So <laughs> my Twitter account is kind of not. I have a really Jake Busey. I've, I've been posting some joke, anti like I. I've, you know, you can't tell if a tweet is sarcastic. <laughs> so I've been posting all these sarcastic tweets and nobody's going to know like what my stance is on stuff. <laughs> but anyway, I got to get that figured out. But it's at, at the Jake Busey is my is my social stuff. A lot of the people that we've talked to on this podcast that have become friends of ours, they're afraid to talk about some of the stuff that you talked about tonight with, with the political stuff because of their, they're afraid of the backlash that they that they will get in Hollywood. Um, so well, it's good to see that you're uh, not afraid to talk about that stuff. I'm not afraid because I know what the truth is now, and I'm not going to play those silly games. And if you're an actor and you can't see through the charade, uh, I I find that really twisted. And there's, you know, I was never like you hear these stories about like what was it the actor talking about drinking the golden juice or like there's all these Hollywood folklore things about the underbelly of like I never saw any of that aside from like my dad and his buddies like partying I never saw any of the strange twisted things that seem to be going around the internet these days or um like sexual abuse or or like quid pro quo sex favors or weird illuminati shit I, I mean that's, that's all the, you know Never, none of that stuff exists, you know. That's all just a bunch of hooey, as far as I'm concerned. But the truth is the truth, and um, and I, I'm, I kind of kicked out of Hollywood a long time ago, um, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> I do independent films now. I, I would love to do the big stuff with all the lefty crazies, but they, you know, they don't want me. That's, that's clear. Um, yeah, so, we have. I I was just texting with him the other day. I won't say his name, but he's legitimately afraid to speak his mind because, like, he works on in big, big movies and big TV shows. Like, so he yeah. won't say anything about it. Oh, I, and he's yeah, like, when I, I talk to him, he's like, man, he's like, I love talking to you because <laughs> I, I can I can finally <laughs> vent. Yeah, I was that way, but now I realize that, like, you know, I for the last four years, I've like been like delicately preserving my a-list career trying not to like say anything that'll have any backlash and then i realized i was like i'm homeless i don't have an a-list career i've got i got i can speak the truth and feel so much better in my soul and and like 
just being honest, just me. That's I've, the way I've always been. I'm just me. And that's what you, what you see is what you get. So, you know, whatever. Everyone's entitled to their own jam, right? Yeah. Well, that, so. but, but unfortunately, with today's society, you're not allowed to have your own jam anymore. Oh, God. Well, I guess that's why I'm an outsider. <laughs> you and me both, brother. Uh, thank yeah, you maybe. so much, man. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to do this. Yeah. Well, thank you. you I loved your, uh, your non-standard questions. It was very, it was very nice. It was a good departure from the norm. Yeah, we tried to, uh, you know, I'm sure you've been asked every star, starship trooper question that you could ever be yeah. asked. So uh, yeah, we try to stay away from that stuff on this show. So yep. I appreciate that. It was a great show. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you again. Yes, sir. All right. Sounds good. All right. Adios. Have a nice yeah. night. Okay. You too.